we've moved on, but we haven't moved that much further on, right? There still isn't good, solid agreement on what it means to build or innovate around a smart and sustainable community and city. Uh, some people will say it's all about IoT. Yeah, that's all, yeah. Some people will say it's just about data, right? I think it's a bigger topic myself. I, I, I think fundamentally it's about quality of life in, in all its forms. It, it's a very large topic. And because of that, that does make it hard to define. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings, folks. Welcome along to this episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. It was great to be in Christchurch recently and to visit the Christchurch Innovation Expo. And while I was there, I got a chance to sit down with my friend Jonathan Reichenthal, or Professor Jonathan Reichenthal, to be uh, more accurate, uh, who was based in Silicon Valley. He's an expert in technology and urban innovation and founder of Human Future, a business and technology advisory, investment and education firm. He's been recognized as a top chief information officer in the US and around the world. He was keynote speaker at the Innovation Expo and was also in New Zealand earlier on in the year as part of an academic exchange program at Victoria University. In today's episode, Jonathan and I dive deep into designing smarter, safer and more sustainable cities and communities for the future through digitization, automation and other aspects of innovation. Before we begin, I'd like to thank, of course, our wonderful show partners, 1NZ, 2Degrees, Spark, HP and Gorilla Technology. Let's dive in. Jonathan Reichenthal. Good mm-hmm. to see you again, Jonathan. It's great to see you, Paul, here in New Zealand. It's terrific. Yeah, I think uh, la- last time last time we caught up was probably in Silicon Silicon Valley, so it's been a few years. It has. It has. Yeah. We, we, did, uh, we did some virtual stuff too. Yes. But it was great right. to have you over in my neck of the woods. That was yeah. lovely. Yeah. Um, well, there's, there's, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, here in Christchurch, uh, we've, we've been... Uh, really in it with with a lot of you know tech and innovation aerospace things uh, going on uh, over over a, a period of sort of a week week or so mm-hmm. uh, you've been uh, here uh, in Christchurch to uh, keynote at the innovation uh, summit uh, that's the main thing that sort of brought you down to this part of the world again I take it yeah well it doesn't take much because I love this country I really do uh, I'm not saying that because I'm sitting with you. I, I, I genuinely love New Zealand. I had a chance to come here earlier this year for five weeks. Um, I was uh, a visiting professor at the Victoria University of Wellington. Um, and that really was just uh, an excuse for me to, to tour the country a little bit and get to know more parts of it. And uh, I, I achieved that. And But I had a good time teaching at the university as well and, and spending time in, in Wellington. Um, and so uh, when the chance came to come back and be part of this innovation expo here as part of Smart uh, Christchurch, uh, the government program, the local government program. Um, I said, "Tell me more." That sounds sounds fabulous. So they so they have been doing a lot of stuff. I yesterday I did um, a talk on um, uh, well, I was on a panel for cybersecurity, and then in the morning I did a talk on artificial intelligence. Um, and today uh, did a workshop for kids, which was amazing about the future cities. And then later today, uh, my final keynote will be a uh, talk on um, the role of data culture. Uh, today is more industry focused. Yesterday was a bit more family oriented. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm here for this. I'm going to spend a few extra days to, to enjoy myself here in Christchurch too. That's great. Um, now, 
in terms of the the sort of areas that uh, that you look at, you, know, you were the uh, chief information officer for the city of, of Palo Alto. I yeah. think when when I visited yes. you uh, uh, last time, so so your you know your interest and your expertise is is very broad as far as you know technology goes. You tap into to lots of uh, different areas. I think smart cities was probably the the topic that we first yeah. uh, interacted in, uh, and that's obviously. You know, part of uh, the discussion at at the Innovation uh, Expo in Christchurch, but uh, obviously lot, lots yeah. of other areas too. Um, books you've been putting out books on a on a range of uh, you know topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, a data governance uh, book recently, mm-hmm. uh, crypto. Um, I think sort of more broader blockchain uh, yes. related content and and courses as well. Yeah, uh, that are that are available uh, online. So how do how do you how do you find the time to put all <laughs> these these things together? And what are the things that are really exciting you at the moment? Yeah, well, I, I, I you know fundamentally I'm an educator. So whether I'm at university teaching or I'm writing a book or developing a course, or even doing this with you right now. Uh, it's all about inspiring others, sharing knowledge, um, learning from others too when I can. I learn a lot from you and, and everyone I meet uh, doing these things and, and being part of these events. Um, the topics I choose generally are the ones where I think uh, they will cause change. Um, I'm hoping and supporting positive change. Um, I, I try to get a little ahead of the game too. I try to be a little bit of a futurist in, in saying what's next. That's always been sort of a theme in my in my 30 year career. Um, and you know, I, you mentioned I was working at the city of Palo Alto, and I, I uh, finished that, completed that work. Essentially, the city manager was leaving, and I thought to myself, do I want to stay out longer and get to know a new city manager and start over in some ways? I said, this is a great point for me to wind down my work and then think about what's next. I love the work so much. I love the, the the public work I was doing, working with cities. This was the thing that was getting me really excited. So I thought, hey, you know, I can uh, do this not just for one city, but I can leave now and try to scale this up so I can deliver and be helpful to communities all over the world. Um, so I, I did that when I left the city, and now about six years ago, believe it or not. And But I found also private companies were very interested in in the work I was doing too, whether it was strategy or or just a little bit of futurism um, and the topics that I was choosing, whether it was data, blockchain, cities, uh, fourth industrial revolution, um, AI and, and, and more. Um, and so, you know, I, this is what I do full time now. So, that, you know, when you asked about how do I find the time, it, it it's about uh, me making this a priority um, and is anyone like yourself, an entrepreneur who runs an organization, um, you're, you're prioritizing all the time. And, and I have to figure out where to spend my time. Um, what is not only, I mean, my priority is what's most meaningful and impactful, but also, you know, that I have to run a business and, you know, pay bills and things. I got to make sure I'm doing the stuff that is, is uh, there's a market for and, and, and there's demand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, in, in effect, you know, I, I, I have this set of topics. And, and final point on this, to really kind of get to the crux of it, is my portfolio of uh, topics that you'll hear me speak about at conferences and things constantly evolves as the society and, and the world progresses. So I don't hang on to old topics that have sort of had their time or maybe they've just gone mainstream or they're now a commodity. Um, I'm trying to think ahead a little bit. And, and, and so... That forces me to create new content, but I'm 
I'm carrying that sort of a set of portfolio topics along with me that's of the same quantity, um, and and uh, and that's how that's how I think I do it. I you know just a matter of prioritizing and and, and making the time for what's important. Mm. Now let's go, let's go back to smart cities because it, it's still a you know very relevant yes. uh, a very relevant topic. We're we're obviously at a different place now from when you and I were first mm-hmm. you know talking about uh, smart cities. And you know, you, as as we've discussed, you know, you're um, uh, you know, you travel a fair bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were recently in in Vienna and uh, and keynoting there. Um, and you mentioned to me, you know, Vienna very much in in the in a very um, you know key position in terms yeah. of smart cities globally. Yeah. Um, so what does that what does the future kind of look like for for a city uh, like Vienna that that would be considered at the forefront, but of course, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're looking forward and, and still need to uh, need to innovate from from their their current position. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, I love that uh, that question and, and how you think about it as well. Uh, like the field has changed enormously, and, and uh, even though I, it's hard to put a number on it, maybe we're fifteen years into this, maybe at best, right? And the beginning was chaos, was sort of scrambling, everybody sort of defining it themselves. We've moved on, but we haven't moved that much further on, right? There still isn't good, solid agreement on what it means to build or innovate around a smart and sustainable community and city. Uh, some people will say it's all about IoT, and that's all. Yeah, some people will say it's just about data, right? Um, I think it's a bigger topic myself. I, I, I think fundamentally it's about quality of life in in all its forms. You know, uh, whether that's economic, political, uh, health, education, and it, it's a very large topic. And because of that. That does make it hard to define. Like if one community does really good uh, in, let's say, the healthcare space, and another does really good in the education, it's it's very hard then to compare them. They're 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 doing what's important to them. They're doing what their community needs. They're focusing on what uh, strengths they have uh, in, in in delivering their city. Um, uh, I will say, sort of, if we kind of look over the last decade, um, there's there's much broader recognition that we need to do more innovation in our communities. We we need to use digital a lot more, um, and and the opportunity for you know for growth there is is abundant. I mean, you know, the, of the thousands and thousands of cities in the world, how many are investing heavily and focusing on smart and sustainable communities is still a small percentage. Right. We need if we're going to have a global movement, a lot more communities are, are going to have to come on board and and recognize the things they need to do. Eventually, they will because they'll be forced to. Um, but it's good to sort of get get ahead of that. Um, the technologies have matured a little bit. You know, we, we uh, um, there's there is a, a greater appreciation of data management and data governance within uh, cities. Um, CIOs are better equipped and more enlightened about needs. Um, you know, the, the traditional government CIO perhaps didn't have a technical background and they sort of were promoted up to the position they were at. Today, cities are hiring very competent, um, skilled um, uh, technology professionals and strategists uh, increasingly, and that's a good sign. They're also hiring data scientists and, and uh, they're hiring um, cybersecurity professionals. So there's greater focus on that. Vienna was fascinating because, you know, at the end of the day, you want to be able to go to a city and experience what it actually means. Like a lot of cities have a lot of stuff in the background, you know, it runs systems at the city. You don't, you never see it. You don't know. Yes. But yes. can you actually, as a visitor or somebody who goes to live in a place, 
feel the difference? Can you actually experience that, that the community is different? And Vienna has that feeling. There's several cities in the world that I visit that are like that. Um, and I, I will say Christchurch uh, has has that uh, has it happening. You know, they're they're in they're on their journey. They're uh, several years in now, and you start to see. Uh, for example, um, even manifesting in the environment, things like uh, sensors in, in the river that goes through the center of the city um, so that they can take action to make it a cleaner river. It, it's, it's historically actually being problematic. You see, uh, for example, a lot of data and um, capabilities around proactive earthquake uh, anticipation and response. Yes, yeah, so um, I was hearing they've got about 150 yeah. sensors yes. now so yes. you know, spread right around yeah. uh, Christchurch so they can measure yeah. you know, whatever happens in terms of movements that they yeah. didn't have before, some of those testing out yeah. that, or ensuring that they know the status of different you know, buildings, which yeah. is very hard for them to measure in the past, right? Oh, so so much so. And that that's like to me, that's really making a big impact. That that is life or death. I mean, that's really the core of having a, a community that functions well. In 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 Wellington, when I spent some time there earlier this year, um, you know, they also have an earthquake sensor network, and uh, they they have a fair amount of wobbling, uh, you know, from time to time. So people evacuate buildings, and then uh, in the center, in the central business district. Um, the uh, public safety officials can look at the sensor data and know whether people can go back in the buildings because um, the sensors have given enough information to make that decision quickly. Um, that's ground. That's game changing. Some yeah. of those decisions yeah. were taking yeah. months and months previously yeah. to work out whether a building was safe or not. Yeah. Or sometimes people are left in a building because nah, it's probably okay. <laughs> and. And then later, you know, might be three, six months later, they realize, oh, actually, no, not so good. You probably yeah. you know, shouldn't be in that building, which then means you probably shouldn't have been in that building for the yeah. for the last six months. So if you can, if you can get that, you know, instantly with, with sensors, that's pretty handy. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is making it real. You know, this, this is not some sort of abstract notion. This is uh, making the city safer and better to live in. Going back to Vienna, uh, you know, you, you see... Uh, lots of public transport options. Um, you see some uh, expanding bicycle networks. You know, this is a big part of the smart city movement these days. It's just support for bicycles, right? Um, people think it's all digital. It's all data. No, often it's just about having bicycle lanes so people can have choices and they can have a healthier lifestyle, right? And so you see a lot of that good light rail system, a lot of digital services. So if you need to work with government or, or get a government service, um, there's probably an app or a website uh, that works pretty efficiently, um, but you know the other thing you notice is the city sort of has a uh, sort of a, a gentle cadence to it. Um, people, uh, how you define what it means to enjoy your life within a city is more than just you know apps and 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 these are the capabilities. It's about do you have um, uh, quiet places that you can go? Like you, can you sit in a park and and know that you it's quiet and 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 uh, you have time for your own thoughts. It's you know, uh, you know, is um, uh, can you drink water from any tap? You know, uh, or, or do you have to buy bottled water? Um, uh, it, um, is are there places where you can actually nice social places that are safe and outdoors and um, like um, meeting places and creating what we call placemaking, um, and you see that in abundance. You know, uh, and it's all integrated with a lot of art and and culture. Um, and, and, um, you know, quickly shifting over to somewhere else, like you go to somewhere like Singapore, right? And so 
what, Sing- what, what does Singapore look like today as a very smart and sustainable community? Um, well, they have they've they've hit a metric of about over over ninety two percent of all government services now are digital. You can access pretty much everything on your smartphone, right? Um, that's an aspiration only you know only most communities in the world could could you know does want you know look forward to or aspire to, I suppose. Um, and and yet they've hit it. They've they've made that a target, and they've 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 established that. I guess you're gonna you're gonna end up in some places having a challenge. Um, where everything gets to you know fully digital, and then you've got some people who are who yeah. are less uh, digitally inclined, and so you've, then you've got a, a maybe a very small minority that you have to work out how to cater to with sort of you know yeah. Yeah, non-digital or less digital types of uh, yeah. mechanisms as as well. I guess that's got to be part of mm-hmm. the the balancing act with becoming uh, digital. And you know, for folks like us that are digital, it's like this is yeah. brilliant. Um, but you hear of other people that are maybe being a little bit left out. Well, you want to avoid that. That's an exceptionally good point. Um, and when I was leading a lot of these initiatives in in the city I was uh, part of. Um, that was always top of mind because we were very aggressive in our digitalization uh, projects. Uh, but when we digitalized the service, we didn't shut down the manual, you know, the, the analog version. We still allowed people to make a phone call or we still had the place where people could go in person. Um, there still could be a form that you could fill out or you could have a person help you fill out an online form. Um, I actually encourage that. I, I, I don't want to see in the near term communities shut off that because that is a an equity issue and we don't want that. Um, as you say, in, in a generation or two, it becomes less of an issue. But let's manage that transition in a, in a much more in a much healthier way, because uh, that, cause that you know, we don't want to create uh, more issues than we solve, right? Mm-hmm. And and it seems you know if we look across the technology world, there's all sorts of you know best practices on how we how we do things, how we should utilize technologies, how they should be configured, how we we deal with uh, cyber security, business continuity, yeah. you know data governance, and so on. And um, yeah, you know, it seems that's very much happening in the yeah you know, I guess in the in the government and local sort of government world. So you know we're seeing these sort of standards, and 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 some of them are. Um, you know, a little bit jarring, right? You know, one of the um, um, uh, things we've had in, in Auckland is in the sort of inner city speed limits have come down to uh, yeah, 30 kilometres an hour. And yeah, I'm used to being able to, you know, duck out, get to a meeting across town, at, mm-hmm. you know, at a particular pace that's now, you know, it's, it's a little bit slower. But that's just a best practice. It's happening kind of, you know, all around the world and it creates a different sort of environment as those... Uh, those best practices sort of you know come in mm-hmm. um, but they also I guess create some some debate and some you know discomfort for folks that have, <laughs> that have been used to operating in a particular way well uh, change for a long time of right? course of yeah. course um, it's a human thing we, 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 we um, I, I like to say it this way we, we often want the change without the change right we, we, <laughs> we want a different outcome without changing anything um, and that's just a contradiction right Um but you, I love the example you gave because all around the world, you know, we, we um, we've had incredible ideas and innovation about how do you reduce um, accidents in streets and car accidents. And in fact, in the U.S., uh, we have the Vision Zero. It may be an international thing, but I certainly know it in the U.S. where we're trying to over the next few years essentially try to eliminate uh, as best we can um, bicycle accidents and, and pedestrian accidents, car accidents. Um, I mean, we we shouldn't accept the high numbers we have today and yet we kind of live with high numbers of terrible tragedies 
And um, and so, you know, we, we have all this incredible science, but at the end of the day, it turns out that if you ask people to slow down, that's actually has the biggest impact. And we've got uh, uh, so many examples now of communities where they, um, in those sort of congested inner areas, um, going from, you know, 45 to now 30, maybe to 25 to 20, uh, and you see a direct correlation with uh, with outcomes. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and um, um, people will fight it, and then it's different. Uh, uh, but I mean, we have to do the right thing. And, and we ha- look, debate is good. Well, well, I think we encourage the debate, but at the end of the debate, we got to conclude, we got to move forward. Um, and then I think what happens eventually is if we do see good results, people get used to it and becomes habitual, and then uh, and then we move on. Mm. You know? And look, there, there, there's a degree to which you know sometimes life in a modern world is. Is a bit too fast paced, yeah. right? And actually, there's some there's some benefits in in slowing down. But uh, interesting, it's, it's getting your head around these things and how how it relates to each of us individually. How the how the the benefits mm-hmm. uh, you know impact the broader uh, community as well. And yeah, you know, we have this sort of similar goal for a target for yeah you know, they call it the road toll here in New Zealand uh, to to zero deaths. That there's on the other side of the coin the challenge that we're Creating this cotton wool environment for mm-hmm. you know each next generation, and and there are yeah there are some downsides to that right when you can't let kids climb trees or do anything without uh, without there being so much kind of caution <laughs> around. So it's a little little bit of a um, uh, I guess a, a journey and a balancing act. Working a, what are the what are the right things to do? Because I guess if you wanted to stop road accidents entirely, then uh, we just all walk everywhere, right? <laughs> well, I think I think the answer ultimately is um, autonomous vehicles, right? Um, fo- folks who like to drive cars don't like this conversation at all, um, but it may be inevitable. It, it does, in my research, appears to be uh, uh, that we are trending towards a world where uh, vehicles will drive themselves. And the idea is that you know today we have, unfortunately, about 1.4 million people die a year in car accidents. Um, why? Because humans are not very good at driving cars, right? Um, I know they do things like uh, they drink and drive. They have drugs. So they uh, they're sleepy. You know, um, they just make mistakes. Um, those are the kinds of things that computers don't do. You know, they're they're better at that. You know, they're better at being attentive, and uh, and so the notion is: look, I'm not going to make the argument that we'll eliminate all accidents, but if we could reduce it by half or seventy percent, that's phenomenal. You know. Um, there's a lot of people who are who will be alive each year that that may not be otherwise, um, and 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 so I think the autonomous vehicles coming to cities and all our communities eventually is is uh, what's ahead of us, um, and it, in fact very impactful because when you think of smart and sustainable, well these autonomous vehicles will be electric, right? Um, likely not owned, um, so will be uh, on demand. It may mean less vehicles. We don't know for sure. Um, but um, so so more efficient in the environment, so helping you know uh, reduce and eliminate carbon emissions, uh, but also the ability for us to redesign our cities. Right? Um, I, I spent the morning with uh, seventy five kids here in Christchurch, come from coming from all sorts of communities. What an amazing group! I think, by the way, uh, New Zealand is, is in good hands. These kids were good. Wow, um, and. Um, we we talked about you know autonomous vehicles and and uh, they're all over it. They're all like yeah, totally. They're, they're, they're no doubt, and this is what they what they see as the future. But I was explaining to them that cities are largely the product of uh, you know cars that that have human drivers, like, and and I mean our modern cities. 
Um, and uh, when you take the human out of it, and now the, the computers are driving the vehicles, um, the way that we design intersections and we use traffic signals and we have parking systems, uh, everything is up for grabs. Everything is it, it's possible to reinvent. And um, I think that's the big surprise for us over the next uh, maybe half a century is uh, uh, it, you know you have this domino effect. We're gonna we're gonna see rapid adoption of autonomous vehicles. And then we're going to see the kind of infrastructure response to that, um, and uh, uh, you know, it gives us more options. It, it, it allows us to think differently. Uh, whereas in a, in a in a city captive to automobiles, you have a lot of limitations and a lot of challenges. Mm, you do. Now, mm. um, you know, being based around the sort of you know Silicon Valley, San Francisco Bay area, yeah. Um, you know, those, a number of those trials are, are going on, yeah. Um, there, you know, especially within within San Francisco. What I found when I chat to most people is, I'm like, oh, can, so can you get one of these autonomous vehicles <laughs> to pick you up from your house? And um, most often the answer is no. They don't. They don't cover my area. What's your answer? <laughs> um, well, I would have to say. Um, there, there are there are at least two providers. Um, there's uh, Cruise and uh, Google's uh, former Waymo. Waymo. Is the, are the two yeah. offerings, yeah. and um, they are in a in an advanced experimental phase. Um, so they're they're you know they're by driving around sometimes with people in them, um, they're just capturing data, and that data is helping it get more intelligent as a as a computer system. Um, and it, up until recently, the, there were limited areas. The areas have grown and grown. And now, Cruise, for example, goes everywhere in uh, San Francisco. And that means you know places where people thought autonomous vehicles would struggle, like complicated streets, hills, uh, places where there's uh, road work, you know, complicated intersections. Um, we, we've overcome it. We're, we're there. We, we're, we, we can now have the car be pretty independent. We do have lots of reports of like... A, the you know the the vehicles called cruise, the cruise vehicle sort of just kind of stopping in the middle of the road because yeah, it's yeah. it's really there is a challenge right <laughs> the software is like doesn't doesn't know what to do, uh, or or it goes through red light and the and the cops come uh, you know and try, pull it over which is interesting, and then there's these YouTube videos of the cop going up to the window and sort of knocking on the window to talk to somebody and there's nobody in the car yeah. and they're like w- what do you do what is the, what do the police do you know. They're not even prepared for that, and th- these are the, some of the things we're going to have to fix. So, to your question, um, it's still it's still not a like you can't like you can with Uber or, or the other providers uh, call up a cruise to go to the airport and you're good to go. Um, it is uh, a limited use right now uh, in terms of who can use it. Possibly, I hope I'm right in saying this. It's by invitation right now, um, and but it's growing, and and uh, we're we're close to, you know, when I say close, we're within. Uh, a few short years of seeing this be mainstream. Um, Cruises are already looking at uh, expanding to other cities in Europe and around the world, as are many of the other providers. Um, so it, the question really you asked, it's, it's an important one. Um, we do see some limitations today, but I think they're just temporary. Um, and this thing's going to just explode, uh, is my view, uh, quite soon. Yeah, it's been it's been a really interesting journey, I, you know, I think, with, with Waymo, you know, over a, probably over a decade that we've sort of been following, uh, following their their progress. But you know, it's it's yeah, you know, like a lot of things in technology. You, you you know, you step back for a period and you see quite a big bit of change, but you don't necessarily notice a lot of change from you know 
day to day, yeah. week to week, you know, month to month. But uh, you know, when when you step back, there's uh, there's a fair bit going uh, going on. And of course, there's uh, there's Neuro as well uh, operating in um, in the Valley, which is as a company you know co-founded by by Kiwi. So uh, mm. you know, we've <laughs> we've had a had a chat with uh, Dave Dave Ferguson, the co-founder nice. of of uh, of Neuro, in the in the last little little while with the little. Um, vehicles that can deliver you know food of you yes. know varying kinds and and so on so yeah lot, lots and lots of things going on and of course you know here here in New Zealand uh, you know a lot happening in the aerospace world and 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 some of that uh, I was talking uh, with one of the well, a couple of the team from uh, from WISC today and so you know between New Zealand and Australia and 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 the uh, the Bay Area uh, and so on. They're, they're working pretty hard on the, you know, autonomous air taxi yeah. uh, future. So that's going to be an interesting uh, one to to follow. But it, again, you kind of look at it, and you c- it can look as though really nothing's nothing's happening because yeah. you know we still don't have any autonomous uh, air, air taxis yet. Uh, but yeah, when you when you delve in a bit closer, there there's interesting uh, you know progress on on a you know on a bunch of fronts. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, great points, and and uh, you know, definitely big kudos to the work that's happening here. Is uh, you know, I, I think more people need to know that New Zealand is a, is pioneering, is very much at the forefront of uh, of the flying vehicle uh, industry, and um, great partnerships and great just uh, really clever ideas are coming out. And, and Whisk was the one that I also saw uh, mm-hmm. here at this mm-hmm. event. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I personally, I'm actually involved in a. Uh, flying car company in the valley called Aleph, and uh, they were pretty much stealth for for quite a while. Um, not not a stealth vehicle, you know, <laughs> but uh, more as in they weren't they didn't want to do any marketing or, or tell anybody much about what they were doing. But they they did have to apply for uh, FAA um, cert- certification to do to kind of take it to the next step. And once you do that, it, it's public, right? And and uh, and it's it just really um, about three months ago, four months ago, when it when it, the story kind of hit that Aleph had been awarded the certificate um, for a truly flying car. Now, when I say flying car, it drives like a car and then just vertically takes off, uh, and then it vertically goes down, and then you can park it in your garage. It's it's an actual car, um, as opposed to some of these sort of more drone flavored ones with uh, you know very big um, propellers and, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 very and some of them have a wingspan and you know but this one is literally is you know, the size of a, a family car and so the story was on the front was they were getting interviewed by everybody you can imagine on front page of every major newspaper and um, TV channel had them interviewed so um, they they got you know a lot of orders pre-orders they're not manufacturing you know the mainstream product yet but they're getting pre-orders um, so I shared that because uh, to your point um, there are developments here that are happening that have been happening in the background some of them are starting to emerge that may be surprising to folks that you know uh, whereas we might have talked in uh, fantasy terms about a, a future of flying vehicles and it's like it just it's fantasy but in the reality is we're going to see some of this I don't think you know, my view on this being relatively close to it is I don't think I see that in any near term being mainstream um, I I, I Maybe the, the the founder of Aleph would say, "Well, we're trying to get the car into every garage in America." Um, uh, you know, you're not going to have the distances for uh, pro- at all, really, f- mm. for a very long time because you simply don't have the battery um, duration for for long flight. Um, so, if, you know, if you want to do little 
you know, if there's use cases where a 35-minute flight is exactly what you need or um, there's a commercial service, this is going to be perfect. Um, there's going to be enthusiasts. I mean, there's, there's a decent market there for sure. Um, but the if you're going to buy a car and you have to choose between um, you know, just a car and then a flying car, co- cost and utility and, and uh, all that um, are probably going to limit it, uh, you know, as a mainstream way of getting around. Um, and I, you know, again, I, I go back to, um, will we own vehicles in the future? This is the, sort of the notion, the notion that we each, every family, every person needs to own a vehicle. Um, I, I, I just get the feeling that in a few decades, we'll look back and think how crazy that was, you know, that we all had to have own several tons of steel you know fill it up with carbon and to drive to the store and buy uh buy uh buy apples and oranges you know <laughs> yeah well uh, you know if you yeah, if you put your futurist hat on and and think you know how might the world look 50 to 100 years from now <laughs> there there's so many possibilities right what what comes to mind for you yeah, well, I, I I can look through my optimism lens or my pessimism lens. It depends which one uh, I want to and how I feel. I generally, I personally trend towards optimism. I think even though uh, the, the past and, and our times can feel bumpy, um, the line through all of it is upward and, and progress, progressively better, um, whether it's health outcomes or education or, um, uh, you know, uh, access to whatever you need. Um, uh, you know, today we see there's 8 billion people. Um, we're squeezing out extreme poverty very, very fast. We're down to about 800 million people in extreme poverty. Um, that's less than 10% of the planet, you know, so... Uh, it's still a horrific number, but it's mm. r- remarkably better than it was 40 years ago, um, when well over a third uh, of the of, of all people were in in terrible circumstances. Um, we've largely seen, you know, poverty being eliminated in China, for example, in, in one generation. Really remarkable. Mm. Um, so I, I I do feel that uh, the the condition for a single individual being born today uh, and and they're the likelihood of them having a full relatively healthy life is better than it's ever been right and during that life access to clean water clean air um you know a variety of food good medicine i think that all is uh, much better favorable in, in the future um and we seem to you know to your point earlier about uh, sometimes you can sort of say why haven't we made more progress with say the um carbon to non-carbon migration so we're using more solar and hydro and wind and um, if you looked at just the numbers right now, you might say, well, geez, we're not doing that much. But wow, if you look of, at the progress over the last 10 to 15 years, it, it's remarkable like how much we've transitioned and how much we're adopting. And, you know, that said, there's a lot to go. And I think we'll, we'll continue in that direction. So, you know, again, 40, 50 years from now, I think we, we probably are uh, very, very, uh, uh, I should say, much less reliant on carbon energy. Mm. Um, great for the planet. Uh, great for the quality of our environment. Um, um, but then, you know, throw into the mix some other questions about what are we going to do? Like, what do people, what will people do work-wise um, in a world that's highly automated and you know, a world of thinking machines? Um, but I, I do think on balance, um, you know, I, I, I love to study history and I bring history into a lot of my talks and, and, and books. 
And, you know, you look at London sort of, you know, 150 years ago, 200 years ago, um, this was not a good place. I mean, it was dirty, uh, unsanitary uh, disease. It was violent. Um, large parts of it, you know, extreme poverty, you know, violence, you know, uh, crim crime. It's, and, and today it's... The population is vastly bigger, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think the inner part of London has about nine million people, and you know it's it's a wonderful, prosperous place to be for the most part. I mean, I understand it's got challenges, um, and so we can take even the most complicated, polluted, problematic communities and turn them around. Um, so I do think you know, looking out thirty, forty years, fifty years, um, cleaner, uh, more efficient, um, more opportunity, um, but with some you know major challenges around. Uh, work and and um, uh, I, you know I think I think our I don't really have a huge point of view on this in terms of our, like our political um, problems. Uh, maybe that's just a, a generational thing right now. Maybe it's an it's sort of temporary. But it's it's not an area I focus too much on, so I don't want to um, demonstrate any type of expertise because I don't have any. But that I think has to be just part of the number of dimensions that we think about when we think about the future. Yeah, and you alluded to pessimistic sort of viewpoints yeah. there. Yeah. What are the things that have that have come to mind, or you know that that have come across your your path in terms of things that we need to be working to think ahead about, so that you know, so we avoid some of those sort of pessimistic yeah. sort of outcomes. Well, there's a few obvious ones, so I won't. You know, I want to try to add some novelty here, but uh, you know, it's worth mentioning. I mean, uh, more storms, more flooding, you know, and more fires. Um, our communities are are really being impacted by those now. Um, we have to become more resilient, and so if we don't, you know, the the instant it appears that the frequency of of, of bad environmental conditions will continue to increase, uh, creating some you know ongoing issues. I don't think I think I don't think we want that. So environmentally, I think. Um, that's a pessimistic outlook is that we sort of just every year fires, you know, every year, which creates bad quality air, destroys people's homes. Um, flooding from these storms, from from this, this, these levels of rain we've never seen before in places where there, there hasn't been that much rain, for example. Um, so we got to get more resilient. We've got to figure out what's going on there. Hopefully a, a, a more carbonless future will help there too. There's a lot to be said about uh, human migration. And this is maybe the topic we don't... Um, that we talk about, but we don't talk about the right way, is, you know, I remember I was in, um, at an event, a, a high-level event in, in South Africa a few years ago. And, you know, South Africa of all, you know, Africa has had a rough history, uh, in a much better place today, but South Africa, you know, stands out as the most successful economy uh, on the continent. And, um, you know, the, one of the leaders there was saying, you know, in Africa, we got to get the economy's working. We've got to get the place working, and they seem to be doing a great job. Um, otherwise, we're talking about tens of millions of people migrating northward, um, and you know, that, that just, that's just an infrastructure challenge. I mean, you, you can imagine, and you know, we've seen some of it, millions of people pouring into existing communities and cities. Um, uh, very hard to manage that. And um, um, that not, is not only from sort of south to north, but um, east to west, and you, you see sort of all these kind of human migrationary issues. So that that actually is a lot to do with economics, you know, good economics, good uh, and governance, democracy. Um, so I think that's a, a, a sort of a, a challenge if we if we don't get that um, in some way uh, managed. Um, those 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 two, are, and I think probably the third one is. 
um, the degree to which automation and AI uh, is takes over, uh, you know, entire parts of what humans do today, thus displacing maybe manual work a lot. And um, one projection says, you know, over the next decade or so, we can see you know, 800 million people become displaced um, uh, in in terms of their work because what they do is just replaced by uh, mechanics and you know automation. Um, what do those people do? Um, uh, maybe the last one, just uh, again, just to be very sort of topical, and this is a ways, ways out. This, which is actually the 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 thing that I actually was, I think, so many of us uh, were were understood and were taught something different, where we thought the future was all about population explosion and population problems uh, of too many people. Well, as we get to the end of the century and into the twenty second century, the problem is actually um, depopulation is actually the collapse. collapse. Yeah, and um, you know, depending how you sort of look at the data and sort of spin this, um, that could be devastating, right? absolutely devastating. Um, and and um, not something I don't think you and I need to worry about too much uh, in a sort of weird way, but um, certainly it could be could be ahead of us. Um, uh, and maybe this is kind of a little bit off topic, but just as a last point is, I don't think we've seen the last pandemic and, and I don't think we've seen the worst pandemic. Um, I mean, we dealt with COVID so badly in so many respects. Um, we got lucky. Um, uh, I'm thinking about a really bad one with the same attitude and the same issues we had. And we're in trouble, you know. Um, and and the, and I I'm not sure whether we're paying attention to it right now. Like as if we're so happy that we don't have to wear masks and you know, or or this we're happy with a little bit of like it used to be, right? Mm. But we ought to be the right people to be thinking about preparing and being ready for the next one and, and managing it in a very different way. Mm. Um, you know, during the, the the Black Death of the 1300s, 1200s, you know, one in two people in Europe died. I mean, it was 50% of the population was wiped out in mm. in, in mm. like very short time. They couldn't do nothing. 50%, one in two people. I mean, that fortunately we didn't have that with COVID, but we could have that. Yeah, there's. I mean, across this topic and probably all the things we've talked about, actually, there's a there's a lot deeper we could go. That's they're, right. They're uh, they're big they're big rabbit holes. So, you know, I guess. Uh, yeah, as 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 society, um, yeah, we've definitely had some had some challenges sort of coming through, and yeah, we're we're in a place now. There's there's yeah, lots of data on you know what are the lessons we can learn and 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 so on. Um, but of course, those things can be interpreted in all sorts of different ways too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, very interesting times ahead. Um, I was there's probably yeah some other topics that were on the list there that would <laughs> love to have uh, dived in uh, with you. But I'm I'm mindful we've only got uh, so much time. You've got a keynote uh, coming up uh, in a few minutes as as well. Um, so yeah, anything else that you wanted to sort of share as as we finish up, and we'll have to you know not leave it so long between uh, drinks uh, before we. Podcast again, yeah, no, it's it's. I, I always enjoy so much uh, spending time with you and talking with you, and I love your your questioning. I, I like how you kind of unpack the topics with uh, with the, with your guests and and with me. So thank you for that. Um, now, people are interested in my work. Um, you can go to my website, reichenthal.com. It's just my last name.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, of course, and on, on Twitter um, or x.com now. Um, I have several books uh, on these kind of topics. I would love for people to explore them and, and enjoy them. And, uh, and then I got my online videos uh, through LinkedIn Learning on, on these topics and more, um, going into a lot of more depth and sharing a lot of data, but also 
giving practical advice and, and making it actionable. So um, I'd love uh, for your listeners to to enjoy that and, and get take the take advantage of all those things. Great. Oh, thank you, Jonathan. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll be able to uh, put a put a link up there in the in the show notes as as well. Um, back to your website, so uh, so people can can jump jump straight through from uh, from their app. Um, it's been great, great to catch up. Um, thank you also to uh, our show partners, to uh, Gorilla Technology, HP, uh, Two Degrees, One NZ, and Spark NZ for their support. And thank you all for listening in. And uh, we'll we'll be back again uh, next week with another episode and uh, thank you so much Jonathan Reichenthal uh, great to catch up great to have you back on the New Zealand Tech Podcast thank you Paul alright cheers the New Zealand Tech Podcast brought to you by Gorilla Technology proactive and strategic IT